You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Well, today is uh, bittersweet, is that we end the book of Philippians. This is, this, we've been in here for about six months, and it's been so good. It's been personally so rich, one of my favorite books of the Bible, been so formative to me. But today, we read the end. We read Paul's farewell and final greetings. So why don't you turn with me to the very end of the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 23 today. Again, these are his final parting words to this church who he loves so much. Before we get into that, I've been leaving you hanging for a few weeks on what we're going to next. So before we end, Philippians, what we're going to be doing next, just in a few weeks, right after Easter, we are going to be going through, systematically, the book of Exodus, So we're going to the Old Testament, seeing God redeem and free his people from Egypt into, well, what will become the promised land and see all that God has for them as a new covenant people, that God brings them out to bring them in to his family. And so we're going to be going Old Testament, going through the book of Exodus, probably even know how to do it, probably take a long time, a lot of chapters, a lot of verses, so rich and so good and so formative to the entire history of Israel and uh, the Bible as we know it is looking back to the Exodus story. And so very excited for that starting just a few weeks. And, uh, but before we get there, we are not quite done with the book of Philippians. So let's read Philippians 4, 1, uh, excuse me, 4, 21 through 23. Paul speaking. It says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. God, thank you. Thank you for this rich season that you've had us in this book. Thank you for all the things that you've ministered to and shown us and encouraged us and equipped us with it. But God, we want to look back as a way of recap today and specifically look at your amazing grace, your amazing grace that was demonstrated at the cross. And so God, we ask that you'd have your way, that your will would be done. God, we we ask that nothing would hinder what you want to do. We freely give you this time and say, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Teach us, equip us, train us, correct us. Whatever you need to do, we say, God, if it's you doing it, we want it. So we thank you for today. I pray that you'd anoint me. I'd be your mouthpiece. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't deserve any of this. This is what Paul, this is like his his song of his life. As he was reminiscing in prison, as he's writing this letter from a prison in Rome to this church in Philippi, in a real, genuinely thankful way, not in a mocking way, not in a presumptuous way, in a very deep, genuine way, as he looked at his life and all that God had done, if there was anything that Paul would have said, and that's very apparent to all his letters, is that 
I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of this. And so many times, if not all the time, either an opening or an ending of Paul's letters, the 13 or so of them in the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament are letters written by Paul to either pastors or churches or just the church in general. He starts and ends by talking about God's grace. This undeserved, unmerited favor that he has experienced. This is what Paul's life spoke of. Like if there's any siren song that Paul's life just just belched out was God's grace. When he looked at the depths of where God brought him out of, right? He was Saul of Tarsus, the Christian killer, church persecutor. And now God had brought him out of that, transformed him, and now he was the Apostle Paul. And even despite his circumstances, spiritually, God had completely done a 180 in his life. And when he constantly remembered this, all he could ever do was be reminded of the lavish, undeserved gift that was given to him in Christ. Over and over and over, we see this. He writes of this in his letters to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to the church, what the church should look like and live into and be reminded of was that in Christ, that he himself had been rescued and been redeemed. He had been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ's beloved son. He had been made new. He had been transferred and transformed everything was about God's grace when it came to Paul's life. And much of the the theology about salvation and continued transformation has been in large part from Paul's letters, right? It comes from a deep personal place of what God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit has done in Paul's own life. Like if there's anyone that's a walking display of the transformative work of God, it's Paul. There's a lot of others. We ourselves are testimonies, right? If we're redeemed and set free, what God saved us from and how he's changed us, we're walking testimonies of God's grace. But if there's anyone, like the poster child for transformation is Paul. There was nobody worse. Christian killer. He was zealous against Christ and his church. He was known for it. He was watching, encouraging, supporting Stephen being martyred, the first martyr that we ever see in Scripture. Paul was there. He headed the charge to persecute God's church. There was no one worse. But that definitive moment on the road to Damascus where the Lord met him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? The Lord is speaking of, of himself with his, with his church, with his bride. Why are you persecuting my people in the church? Since that moment, if you're any, anything aware of Paul's life and his character now and his deeds and what he's about now, there is not many who a God has used more. There is not many people that God has used more than the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul like systematically brought the gospel to Europe. And from that, obviously, you know, to the rest of the world came from that. He was a church planner. He was a pioneer. 
He was shipwrecked and arrested and beaten and tortured all for the sake of the gospel. When we think of the progress of much of the world knowing Christ, it's due to God using Paul. Like the the stark contrast to Saul, pre-Christ, to Paul, post-Christ, is night and day, black and white. He is the poster child for God's grace at work in a, in a person's life. And Paul's life reads like an adventure novel of the power of God's grace. I mean, everything from when he was saved to his daily gross, excuse me, not gross, growth. <laughs> his daily growth, every single thing that he speaks about in his letters, even the, the, the letter to the the Philippians, God's grace has been the most transformative to him. I know many of you guys have tattoos. I don't. I'm a little jealous. I want some of yours. But if Paul had tattoos, he would have grace either on his chest or on his neck. You know, one of those, you know, like hardcore, just like maybe head. I don't know. Maybe Paul shaved on his grace. Grace would be tattooed in huge letters on it because for him, this was his song. If there was one word that could describe his life in Christ, it'd be grace. And if there's one thing that we can learn from reading a letter like we've just gone through for the past six months is that Paul keeps God's grace right in front of all he does. Right in front. It's it's hard-pressed to find a long period that Paul doesn't talk about the grace of God. It's deeply changed the way he views trials, persecution, which has led to incredible supernatural peace and joy in the midst of of, of arrest and imprisonment. For Paul, grace has formed the way he views others and why he speaks about reconciliation to God and others for true unity among the saints. And what Paul's letter has been for us as a way of recap has been a powerful encouragement to what life and community is, it should be strived and lived into. This letter has been, in a sense, uh, something that we should aim for. It should be a guide and a goal, something that we should endeavor to live into. The letter to the Philippians has been this beautiful picture of how we are to be and live in community as God's people. But it's no coincidence that Paul ends it by talking about God's grace. Because the truth is, by God's grace, with God's power, will be the only way we actually change into people being like Christ in the way that Paul has been speaking about. It's only by God's grace, by God's power, that we can do these things. That we can live into and be transformed and changed into the man or woman of God that we're created to be, like Paul. Only it's done by God's grace and by God's power. And as way of exhortation this morning, church, the time is now. The time is now to to live into this. Like, there isn't a time coming. You're not going to arrive. There's not going to be, like, a better time to be like, I really need to, like, trust God and live for God and be reminded of his grace daily. Because we do that a lot. We say, that's good. I like it. It's awesome what the sermon was about. It's awesome what God's word said. But what happens is, is a lot of time, not 
real change doesn't happen because we aren't willing to go, you know what? The time is now. The time is now to trust in and, and, and give my life and surrender everything to Christ because he's worth it. There's not a more opportune time than right now to turn from living from ourselves and surrendering to God's grace. It's not a better opportune time. Today's the day. For Paul, he would call himself the chief of sinners. He's like, I'm the worst. He, he self-proclaimed it. I am the worst. I have sinned and disobeyed and rebelled against God more than anyone. And in saying that, means that he is claiming to have experienced the most grace. He's like, if there's anyone that can talk about grace, it's me. You don't understand how God's loved me and cared for me and given me undeserved merit and favor when I absolutely didn't deserve it. Paul's life is a testimony of this undeserved gift from God. This grace to him was the fact that while Paul was persecuting Christians, the Lord came for him. And the truth is, the saving work of the cross, God extending grace by sending his son, was for everyone, including the Pauls of the world. And what this should do, this should be extremely encouraging and hopeful to us. Because if God loved Paul, and if Jesus' work can forgive Paul's transgressions, and make him new, then we can be rest assured that the same grace that was extended to Paul is extended to us. I've heard it all the time. I've heard the story. And it's just a lie from the pit of hell that I'm too dirty. I'm too far gone. I've sinned too much. You don't understand. You don't understand how I've hurt people. You don't understand how I betrayed people. You're like, I don't, but I know that Paul did way worse. And God saved him and redeemed him. Because the lie is, I need to clean myself up before I come to God. I can't come to church. I can't know Jesus. How could he ever? Paul is the prime example of the grace of God being poured out to the greatest of sinners with the worst track record. And God, out of his love, out of his grace, sending his son to die for the Pauls of the world and everybody else should be greatly encouraging to us. God's grace is so good, it's so unbelievable, that it's unbelievable, that it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to really grasp that the God of the universe, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while we were rebelling, would send what was most precious to him, his son, to die for us, and we hated him. This grace is, is, is hard to comprehend, for anyone, that we're given something that we don't deserve, especially when we deserve the opposite. Grace is, is interesting to, to teach a kid. Uh, my daughter, like I said, is almost six, and she's awesome. But at least right now, her love language, you know, the way in which she receives love the best, is gifts. It could be quality time. It could be words of affirmation later. Kind of hope it is, honestly, because it's expensive. Um, but like, she, like you giving her a gift, she receiving, she has to want the gift, to be honest. She's picky. She's a little picky. But at the same time, like, it's the best thing that you could ever do for her. 
So it's so much so that like we, we definitely have to set up some like guidelines of like when you get gifts and why you get gifts and like, because she would, she would literally, I want Target every day. I want to go every day to Target. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get it. The, the toy aisles are unbelievable. Like it's the best and worst experience as a parent to walk with your kid in Target, right? Best and worst. Mostly worst, but anyway. So we've had to set some limits, like special occasions, like birthdays, or like, hey, you know, there's like a reason why you get it. So when, just because we know we, she loves it, out of the blue, we'll buy her a gift. No reason. She didn't deserve it. She didn't earn it. Like, she didn't work for it. She didn't save her money. Like, it's not a birthday. Like, when we just give her what we know is the best. She, she can't comprehend this because she's pretty logical. She's like, why am I getting this gift? Is it my birthday? No. Is it Liam's birthday? Brother? Like somehow she's getting gifts on brother's birthday. She's that kind of girl. She's looking for an opportunity to get toys. So for her, but we've had to like describe like, no, no, no. It's okay. It's good. Like we can just give you something because we love you. Because we just, again, it's not like you deserved it necessarily. We just love you because we know you want that. This is an undeserved gift, but it's yours because we want to bless you. Still, like as a five-year-old, she's like, I do not understand grace. This is too, I don't understand this. Why would you ever do that? It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. I haven't earned it. I haven't, it's not my birthday. Like in so many more ways, this is God's grace to us. It's so good. It's so unbelievable that the God of the universe would die on a wooden cross and be mocked and spit on and tortured so that we didn't have to. That should have been us. That should have been our place. Wait, but we hated him. Wait, we still kind of hate him, some of us. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, out of an undeserved, unmerited love, sent his son to do this. This is the gospel. This is Christianity receiving and believing in God's grace to forgive us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is the root, this is the foundation of what we believe. And if you're here today and you've not received God's grace to forgive you, this is offered to you as well. And it doesn't matter what you've done or what you're doing or where you came from or remember Paul. God's not interested in that. God doesn't count that against you. God sent his son to free us from a life of selfishness and pain and destruction that, led, that would lead to death. This is God's grace. This is God's grace on humanity. This is the gospel. We didn't deserve it, but Jesus died for us so that we wouldn't have to. He paid the price for our own sins, and he satisfied the wrath of God, a life for a life. If you you don't know that, if you haven't put your trust in the Lord, during worship today, there's people in the back that would love to talk more and most importantly, pray with you to receive God's grace and forgiveness in your life. It doesn't make sense because it's that good. It doesn't make sense that this is how it works, but that's the lavished, unbelievable, amazing grace that all of us know the song about. The amazing grace of God. Because it's supernatural, it's amazing, it doesn't make sense, but that is the love of our Father poured out on humanity. 
And grace wasn't just and isn't just only at the time you make that decision to make Jesus your Lord and him to forgive your sins. Yes, that is for that. But grace is also extended to us daily to live. It could have been one and done. Like, I'm going to save you. This is good for eternity. You're, you're in right standing before God. That's the grace I have for you. But God does not stop there. God's grace is what sustains us all as well. And this is what Paul, in some sense, is speaking to. He's speaking to a bunch of Christians here that have already experienced, most of them, right, experienced the transformative saving grace of God. But he's speaking to them about when we apply grace, the results of grace applied, there's much fruit that can come from it. And these are just some of the things. I want to walk through a few points. But some of the things that come from receiving and walking in God's grace daily are this. God's grace brings humility. God's grace brings peace. God's grace brings strength. And God's grace brings joy. First, God's grace brings humility. When we keep God's grace that he had on each of us at the forefront of our lives, like Paul, Like if we're constantly reminded of what God saved us from, it keeps us in our place. It honestly does not allow us to think highly of ourselves because when we're reminded of what God saved us out of and from, it kills entitlement and it promotes thankfulness. When we're reminded where we could have been if God didn't save us, the mire, the muck. Maybe for some of us, we don't have that kind of testimony where, you know, I was at rock bottom and I hit the bottom and God saved me out of it. Some of us do, though. We know what we're saved out of. All of us have the testimonies of what God saved us from. And when we constantly remember that, it keeps us in an attitude of deep gratefulness. Deep gratefulness when we're reminded what God saved us from. And in turn, that keeps us humble, not thinking that we're higher or better than we ought to be. Again, I'm not saying like you should wallow in your past and woe is me. No, God saved you from that. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. But it is not wise to not remember what he saved you from. Paul all the time was reminded, oh yeah, I was the chief of sinners. I was a persecutor of the church, but God saved me. He did it. It's not about me. It's about God. And what it did was it constantly kept Paul in an attitude of humility. We even see this in an interesting way in chapter 1 that we, that we read months ago, is that what was happening was there was people preaching the gospel, but they were doing it out of, like, not the best motives. And if Paul was prideful and was controlling and didn't trust the Lord and wasn't reminded... He could have felt a lot of different things. He could have tried to stop people. He could have tried to just like stop people from doing stuff. And his attitude in chapter one was, you know what? Are they preaching Christ? Well, good. Christ is being preached. He wasn't caught up. He wasn't too proud to, (laughs) he kept kept humble. He wasn't jealous. He wasn't controlling. He wasn't angry. He didn't sweat it. Christ was being preached. And if Christ was being preached, That's okay. God's grace brought great humility to Paul. 
And also God's grace will bring great humility to us. What it also does daily in our lives is God's grace brings about peace. It first brings peace about in our own hearts. Like, because when we remember the grace that God extended to us, it reminds us that we were unconditionally loved and forgiven. And here's what it frees us from. Striving to think that we in ourselves need to save ourselves, that we need to be good people, that we need to tithe and go to church and serve in order to, to find our standing or our approval in God. The cross does away with that. Because of God's unconditional love, he forgives us not on the basis of our own deeds or our own strength, but on his grace alone. It frees us from performance and striving and religiosity. It brings great freedom and peace in our own hearts. And if there's any famous verse that's worth memorizing, it's what Paul, in another letter, said to the church in Ephesus. It's foundational. For by grace, we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, an undeserved gift. Not as a result of our work so that no man would boast. We are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The key to that is that it's by grace we've been saved. This brings incredible, eternal peace to our souls. It's not about us. It's not about how hard we try. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good God was and is. And he poured himself upon the cross for us. And we are completely approved. We are completely accepted because of this. It brings great peace to our hearts. But also, applying grace brings peace in our relationships. Paul talks about this a lot too. It's important that we have good relationships, especially with fellow believers, with brothers and sisters, unity in the church. He speaks of this over and over. And the reason why grace brings peace in our relationships is because we need to extend grace to others because we ourselves lavishly received it from God. In the same way that we received undeserved grace from God. When we didn't deserve it, we too should treat others the way that God treated us. And normally, when we have a conflict or relational discord, we justify our own actions. We justify the fact that we're not talking to them or hurting them or we justify what we said because we think that they deserve it. What is grace? Grace is giving something that they don't deserve. Yeah, they don't deserve that love. Yeah, they don't deserve your forgiveness. Oh, blah, 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 blah. They don't deserve, they don't deserve. But remember, we didn't deserve it either. We didn't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to have God's grace daily. But because we have, we in turn extend grace to others. And extending grace in relationships promotes unity. Paul hit this hard in this letter, the unity of the saints. Also, what God's grace does is it brings us strength. Paul was not perfect, and he was not always strong. He had weaknesses. He was not perfect. He wasn't without flaw or failures. God's great grace met him when he was weak. 
In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, he says this. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at, once again, we see that God's grace is the thing that strengthens Paul in the midst of his weaknesses. It's God's grace that strengthens us. This is what Paul would also tell his young prodigy, Timothy, this young pastor. He would write First and Second Timothy, the letters to. It was really to equip him, to tell him how to be a pastor and an elder, how to be a church planter. And in Second Timothy chapter 2, The very first verse, Paul speaking here, he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Grace strengthens the believer. This is the same is true for us. Grace upholds our arms and is the lifter of our heads. Grace God's grace to us demonstrates God's power in us. That's what Paul's life demonstrated. It wasn't just that Paul was this amazing man. It was that God in him, by God's power, by God's grace, bore much fruit. And lastly, we see that God's grace brings about great joy. Again, when we remember the most important thing, that we have been saved by a gracious God. When we're aware of eternity, when we're aware of why we were created, what we're supposed to live into, the God that saved us out of our mess, when we're reminded of the most important thing, we can experience his presence in the midst of whatever life throws our way. And this is, this is Paul's In many ways, the epistle of joy, the letter of joy, like 19 times he says to rejoice or have joy in the midst of trial. Paul could find joy even in the worst circumstance because he was dwelling upon and calling upon the richness of God's grace. And so can we. We can experience God's grace and God's grace can bring about great joy in the midst of incredibly hard situations. A prayer that we could pray is, God, help me. Help me to experience your grace. Let me be reminded of what really matters. Help me to fix my eyes upon the beauty of the cross rather than dwell on my temporary situation. All the time, something hard comes up. Lose a job. Family member has a sickness. Financial hardships. Something doesn't go your way. You don't get the raise. What happens is we fixate on the problem. We fixate on what's happening. We get so caught up with why this is ruining our life, why this is causing great hurt and great sadness, we fail to remember God's grace in it all. But again, if there's any example that we have, it's Paul speaking the way he does while writing this letter from prison. If I didn't tell you, no one told us this was from prison, you would never guess that. You would never guess that he was on trial for his life because he was having joy and encouraging joy in the midst of life and death circumstances. 
And here's the deal. Remembering the grace extended to us points us to God, and in God's presence, we can find fullness of joy. That's what the psalmist tells us. Psalm 1611, in God's presence is fullness of joy. It's not just fullness of joy when everything goes well. It's fullness of joy when everything isn't going well. In the midst of the worst possible situation, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're reminded of God's grace. If we experience God's presence, we can experience fullness of joy. Amen? Amen. So here's the deal. All these themes were in this letter. Peace and joy and unity. This is, these are the themes of the letter of the Philippians. Paul, just a few verses before, talks about the secret of contentment. The secret of having joy in the midst of, you know, horrible circumstances. And the secret of accessing and living out the letter of Philippians is hidden, I think, in Paul's final words. He says, let the grace of the Lord be with your spirit. You want to do these things? You want to live for the Lord? You want to grow in the Lord? You want to experience his presence? Let the grace of the Lord be with your spirit. What that means is receive grace, believe grace, sit your life upon it, make it your foundation, let it sink deep into your being, the amazing grace that we have in our Savior. Church, if there's one thing that I want us to to take hold of, uh, take home this season, walking into this next season as a church, as a church ohana, is that we cannot forget what God has done for us. We can't forget the gospel. We can't forget our own testimony. There's one thing I want to encourage you with. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Remember what God has done for you and know that he is not done. It's only begun. That was the grace to save. Now it's the grace to live. As we walk into this season, remembering the cross, I want to encourage us to keep grace at the forefront of all that we do. Amen? Amen. God, thank you. Thank you that it's by grace we've been saved, not of ourselves. That it's not how religious we are, it's not how good we are, it's not what we say or what we give, you gave it all. It's because of the finished work on the cross that we are redeemed, that we are saved and we are set free. It's all because of the cross. It's all because of grace. And God, as we worship now, as we're reminded of this amazing grace that you poured out upon us, that you poured out upon us daily, we pray that it would move us to worship that it would move us to praise and adoration and thanksgiving because you are worthy of it. God, I pray that you would strengthen us to walk in grace. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to keep grace at the forefront of all we do. God, you're so good to us. We did not deserve this, but out of your unconditional love, you did it. It's hard to even understand, but you did it, Lord, and to God be the glory for it.